I like your um your your gi, by the way. Thank you. Let's go. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, do not stand up though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. we're always um, looking for Patreon content to be honest, Alex. So. Yeah, no, like I was gonna say, this <laughs> is not only caught. fans. This is, <laughs> I'm not, you cannot, you're not getting any of the proceeds if this goes viral. <laughs> <laughs> Built on trial. I'm Gab. I'm Alex. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And this week we continue and finish our blockbuster season as we aim to put a film on trial from each decade from the 90s until the 2020s. This week we have landed in the 2020s, or you may be mistaken for thinking that we've gone back in time to the 1980s as we put the film Top Gun Maverick on trial. Is it Mac 10 or is it Mac Donald? <laughs> Mac Daddy? <laughs> I don't know. I, didn't, I forgot to write something. <laughs> Mac Duff. Machiavellian. Is it an That's too high, bro, Alex. I like that though, Alex. That's um, yeah, thank you. It's it's way beyond I mean us four on the call, but possibly <laughs> included including me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who came up with it, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was gonna say something altogether different, like thrust. McThrust. <laughs> if in doubt, just say thrust. Oh, where's, where's Joel when you need him? <laughs> Essentially, yeah. with this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list. Let's find out. But before we do. Let's talk about our last film on trial, which was Fast and Furious 7. Furious 7, Fast 7, whatever that might have been. It was the seventh Fast and Furious film, and Dave put it on trial and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. Now, Dave has since gone away and watched the film. So, Dave, tell us, what did you think? Did you make the right call, yes or no? Well, I did feel very harsh, to be honest with you. It's like Austin and Alex said, the producers didn't set out to do anything that they didn't deliver on. You know, it is what it is. No one went into that. Alex, I think it was Alex or Austin made the point. No one went into that cinema expecting anything other than what they got. So in that regard, the film is a major success, but when you break it down into the, into the normal criteria that we do, how's the acting? How's the script? How's the plot? Are there any plot holes? How's the direction? How's this? How's that? Everything is just shit. really shit but yet it was meant to be and i kind of admire that so although yes i do think it's on the right list it is it is a shit film but it's not pretending to be anything else it's not tricked you at any point and i think it's still very enjoyable for what it is so it is it's on the shit list but like if we're doing this as like a 50 50 percentage it's at 49.9 (laughs) percent it's only just under the shit list because i admire them sticking to their guns and just I was going to say not giving a crap what anyone thinks, making billions at the box office. Yeah, and and not and not caring. Do you know what I mean? I'm I not think, caring about it. You yes. know what I mean? I think if you went up to them and said, you know, it's shit, they'd just be like, we can't hear you. We're in our own helicopters. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't, we don't care. You know. So uh, I think they lent into it. You know. Yeah. So um, it's the right call, but I, I have a lot of respect for the film that I probably shouldn't have, but I do have respect for the film. 
Well, thank you very much for that, Dave. Now let's move on to today's trial. Now all of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. And guys, I've taken this week's insults from a list of descriptions of different types of aircraft. So uh, <laughs> not, not my words, but the words of Britannia.com. Now, acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list is Alex. And Alex is just like an ultralight aircraft, sleek and primarily intended for pleasure. Oh. <laughs> Pri- primarily, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a caveat there, but... <laughs> there's a caveat in there somewhere, yeah. And joining Alex is Ozzy, and Ozzy is just like a private aircraft, very sophisticated and designed to be highly maneuverable. <laughs> And acting as prosecution to try to get this film placed on the shit list is me. And I'm just like a glider. I use the power of wind. And <laughs> joining, <laughs> uh, joining me, maybe, we'll find out, is Joel. And Joel is just like a business aircraft designed to carry a small package a small distance. No, it's just like real, real, real mature. I was talking about his child, Dave. I was talking about his child. Now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though. So do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear what they really think. And in the role of judge who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Dave. And Dave is just like a commercial airliner designed for safety and for comfort. Oh, I'll take it. Now, like everyone had a good one there except for Joel. <laughs> and, he, and he missed it as well. Hi, and Joel. no sooner did you insult him, he started logging on. <laughs> he knew. His ears were burning, or his package, or both. Uh, now, before we get started, I think we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. And so uh, what we do here is we read off the synopsis in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. It has landed on the Aussie. So how would we like Austin to deliver the synopsis? F-18. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A a wildly excitable Tom Cruise. <laughs> I don't think I can do a Tom Cruise. I can just do generic American if that's all right. Maybe yeah, cocky maybe why, 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 why do you do a, a generic uh, like Kenny Loggins blockbuster? Singing <laughs> 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 like Kenny Loggins. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna go with uh, I, I won't shout it like a Kenny Loggins. All right, here we go. After 30 years, Maverick is still pushing the envelope as a top naval aviator must confront ghosts of his past when he leads Top Gun's elite graduates on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice from those chosen to fly it. Very nice. Very nice. I don't watch 
Kenny Loggins songs you've been listening to, man. <laughs> oh, no, I, was, I, I, I couldn't do the Kenny. I think he's too high-pitched. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, it's, uh, <laughs> if Kenny Loggins songs were re-recorded as spoken word poetry and delivered by James L. Brown, uh, James L. Brown. James L. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, without hesitation, let's kick things off, Dave. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Top Gun Maverick, the much-awaited, was it awaited? Did anyone ask for this? Sequel to Top Gun, the classic 80s action film. I have seen it. I watched it ahead of the Oscars, trying to uh, get, a, get a bearing of it. Um, uh, but I don't remember it particularly well. I just watched it the once, kind of watched it casually, which I feel I could with this film. Or should I pay more attention? Let's find sort of out. Just, you looked away sometimes, a little casual. You just sort of sidled up yeah, to it, gave it, it, was, gave it a little, <laughs> gave it a little watch, and then you gave it a, a, a casual nod. You know, a little tease. It, sometimes <laughs> it'd nod back. Sometimes it wouldn't. It was casual. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so spare me no details. Omit no facts. I'm going to go to the defense first. Alex, Ozzy. Yeah. I'll give you a quick rundown of the plot. Yeah, it, this is I think 36 years later. I think this is one of the longest sequels after you know after a film is made maverick is still being maverick it opens where basically crashes a plane that he's trying to take to mach 10 at the height uh, at the fastest he can do he's trying to push it to the limit and crashes the plane it's a great start to the film then you know ed harris brings him in says your you, you drones are going to take over pilots are basically extinct but you know at, at this moment you need to go back to top gun uh, they need you there so off Tom Cruise goes, goes back to Top Gun and realizes, finds out that there's a really dangerous mission that needs to be flown. They've got to fly. There's these fifth generation planes. They've got to blow up a nuclear enrichment factory. We're not sure where it's, it's sort of obviously, especially these days, we don't really want to get into specifics of countries or you know who, who America seems to be fighting against. It's quite nice the way it's sort of just generic and a little bit left open. It's probably North Korea, but it's kind of left open. <laughs> kind of, you know what I mean? It's you know we you don't see any of the enemies you just know they've got now they've got better planes in america we won't go into too much why it just sets up sets up the plot quite well what if they uh, named someone really random as their enemy you know like the planes had like italian flags on them or something um yeah, so uh, he's t- he's brought back. Uh, it's John Hamm, who's you know the, his call sign is Cyclone. He's in charge of this mission. He says, "You're not my first choice, but Iceman Val Kilmer, you know, he's the commander of the Pacific Fleet, and you know he's got your back." And he said he wants you in this. So anyway, uh, Tom Cruise is like, "Great, you know who the, who else is going to be flying it with me?" And he's like, "No, you're teaching Top Gun now." Da, 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 da. And it's like, oh, right. So Tom Cruise is now in a position where he's teaching the next generation to fly this mission. Incredibly dangerous mission. Very hard to get back from. And finds out actually Goose's son, Goose, who died in the first film, his son, played by Miles Teller. Rooster is part of this high precision team of Top Gun graduates who think they are the best of the best. But actually in this mission are not going to be. They're coming up against better fighters. There's a really lovely line when um, Tom Cruise basically says, you know, these guys aren't as good as they think they are. And Cyclone John Hamm is sort of sort of a bit of a foil character to Tom Cruise. Says, you're talking about the best fighter pilots on the planet, Captain. And Tom Cruise says, yeah, and they've been told that their entire career while dropping bombs from a high altitude with little to no dogfighting. So the film really does set up quite well. It's quite interesting as well because... 
you'd expect a Tom Gun, Top Gun film to be quite jingoistic, but that's kind of a little bit of a, it's more of a pop at the American Naval Air Force than I thought this film would have, actually. The fact that it's saying that actually American air superiority has kind of led to a little bit of complacency within Top Gun. I just thought that was a really interesting part to bring in. Anyway, Maverick pushes these to the limit, absolutely to the limit, into the danger zone and beyond. That's what he just keeps doing. But it's because of his respect for losses. It's because of his, you know, it's because of the backstory. You know, Top Gun does come into it. It's because he lost Goose that now Maverick's Maverick, not for his own ego, not because he just wants to fly planes as fast as he can. He wants to bring all of these pilots home. You know, he pushes them as fast as as much as they can because he wants them to come home. So he, he does, he sets the flight deck really, really low. He does this almost impossible mission because that's the only way they're going to get home alive. You know, John Hamm is trying to be a bit more conservative, but that would actually put, the mission would get done, but that's going to put them in danger. Anyway, the training goes on, the training montages, the the, the different things are happening. You know, it's still exciting. We still have people bailing out. We still have, you know, planes crashing, but it's all builds up nicely. You know, the, the training can't happen. Anyway, finally, the only person who has to convince that he can fly this mission, Tom Cruise flies his own mission to prove he can do it and actually becomes the mission leader picks Rooster to be his wingman. So we've got this really nice setup. So now we've set up for the last half an hour of the film, which is just an astonishingly good action sequence uh, set in the air. Fantastic. The mission happens. It's just the best dogfighting you've ever seen in a film ever. And, you know, I'm sure we'll go into this, but the main thing we're looking at here is that it's almost no, no CGI. The filming on this was incredibly innovative. You just haven't seen films like this because people can't be bothered to make them. The, the amount of effort, blood, sweat and tears that went into creating these fantastic aerial sequences are are beyond belief and and just for that worth the film. The mission is flown, very exciting things happen without going into it too much and everything sort of, you know, as you would imagine in a Top Gun Maverick film, makes you believe that it might not end up well and then we have a happy ending where everyone's back slapping and, you know, high-fiving on the top of a, you know, an aircraft carrier, you know, so... It, what's nice about this film is it's a sequel. It knows it's a sequel. It's going to do all of the things that you want from a Top Gun film. It's a bit of a romance with Jennifer Connelly. You've got the, you know, the goose story comes back into it. You've got some fantastic flying. And it does all of that, but it does it in a really interesting way. It doesn't, it, it does it in a new way that you, it's just really enjoyable and puts a new spin on it. So I just think Top Gun from a story point of view, I'm sure we'll get into the other parts of it. It's just absolutely, absolutely spot on. Thank you very much. Okay, so prosecution, absolutely spot on. Some of the best dogfighting I will ever see in a film, ever, ever. <laughs> I'll stand by that. Yeah. <laughs> They're not uh, dogs fighting in air, Dave, as well. Do you know, you do, you do yeah. know, you know. I, I know what dogfighting is. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like Battle of Britain, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. 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 Just, I just wanted to be clear. There might be listeners who think I'm talking about aerial dogs fighting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, like it might be listeners who think that Alex is a supporter of Michael Vick and, yeah. <laughs> and blood sports with the, it's not actual dogs, it's fighter, <laughs> fighter aircraft. Okay. Uh, okay. So, yeah, it sounds pretty good, Gav. I mean, uh, we'll get more into the cast later, but that sounded good. What snippets I heard there sounds like it's an exciting plot, sounds like it's got the right mix of like action and it can't, it, it, it can self refer itself to a degree, but it's bringing something new to the table at the same time. This sounds promising. Why is it not? Well, 
It's it's not it's not. I'm sorry, Dave, because it is too much like the original Top Gun, for which there was a time and a place, and that time and place was 1986. I'm going to be honest with you here, though. I'm not a fan of the original Top Gun. I've never been a fan of it. It always felt to me like a bit of a vapid and shameless dick swinging piece of military propaganda, just like a sequence of jingoistic and nationalistic action set pieces set to the soundtrack of 80s rock, essentially all designed to make coked up movie executives stand up and salute with one hand whilst jacking off with the other. You can say oh. the name Michael Bay. He doesn't listen. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> what don't no, movie, that... don't movie executives deserve a film, Gav? What what's wrong with that? What's yeah. they're just having fun? That's how they have fun. <laughs> yeah, all industries require a circle jerk, and yeah. you know why should they be any different? Yeah, yeah well, you know, I, I'm 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 not saying that they're not allowed to have that. I'm saying that that time was 1986. They've got that now. <laughs> like they've jerked in the circle to that film. Let's leave it at that. Thankfully, though, action films have moved on leaps and bounds since then. We're in a bit of an action renaissance at the moment. You have these big temple action franchises like John Wick and Mission Impossible. Then there's this explosion of independent and foreign action films like Everything Everywhere All at Once and Triple R. And then there's the box office dominance of stuff like the DC and MCU franchises. However, what perhaps features more at the box office than any particular one genre is existing IP. Everything from Indiana Jones to Ghostbusters to Hocus Pocus, everything is receiving a reboot, sequel or requel, whether it needs to or not. So it came as no surprise that Top Gun would receive the same treatment. What was really disappointing to me, however, is that Top Gun Maverick doesn't seem to have moved on with the times. And whereas action films have progressed a lot, Maverick, like the eponymous character, seems to be stuck in the past. I will admit that the lack of CGI, everything that Alex was saying before, the various aerial spectacles are all really impressive to watch. And I really appreciate all the effort that's gone into making this film, but it is just all style over substance. Whenever a character isn't in a fighter jet, the film really struggles. The dialogue seems really laboured and cliched throughout to the point that I wouldn't be surprised to find in a few years' time that the entire script was written by an AI programme. It's just as jingoistic and insubstantial as the original film, but with even less originality. Every other scene is an homage or a retelling to the original to the point where it gets a little ridiculous. The opening being a shot-for-shot recreation of the original. You've got Maverick flying upside down. Maverick's still wearing the same fucking jacket and shades and riding the same bike as the original. Rooster having a moustache, flat top and Hawaiian shirt as direct visual reminders that his dad was Goose. Sun-soaked shirtless beach sports. Maverick racing a plane on his bike. And maybe the most egregious part of the whole film is a whole bar full of 20 to 30-year-olds knowing all of the lyrics to Great Balls of Fire. It's just a bit too much. Now, some films should be left in the past and Top Gun is definitely one of them. Okay. Thank you very Okay. Brief point, Alex, when I want to hear what Austin thinks. Just the main thing that annoyed me, there was a lot that annoyed me about what Gav said there. I'm not gonna <laughs> <laughs> is, is that just his voice? Or was yeah, it yeah. It's, it's, so, do you know what? That's the hard thing about being against Gav. I'm not sure if it's him that's annoying me or what he said. It's, it's, I think it's it takes a long time. It takes me weeks yeah. sometimes to, to, to sort it out. Um, the jingoism, there just isn't jingoism in this film. I, I am highly... I don't like jingoism at all. Like Independence Day is just ridiculous, the amount of jingoism in this. 
it, there are points when they are stood in front of an American flag and stuff like that. But then again, this is a film about the American military. You know, there really isn't any USA shit going on here. No one really mentions it. No one talks about it. So I don't know where this jingoism is coming from. I don't really, I don't see any evidence for that in the film. Um, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Okay. Thank you very much. So, Ozzy, I'm going to come to you now, see what you think about what Gav was saying. The jingoism point's kind of been covered, but feel free to go over it yourself if you've got anything else to add. Um, no, it's going to be the same, but yeah, carry on. Yeah, and, and Gav says, you know, it's it, it's stuck in the past, I think, was the, was the big thing there, once jingoism was removed. Uh, so, that you know, action films have moved on. We've all moved on, apart from Tom Cruise and the team behind Top Gun. So... Well, Gav is right. There are callbacks to the to the past, and there are you know, and there are many, many. I think that's what makes it makes it good that it's it is fantastic that they, they've managed to bring enough callbacks so that fans of the original can go, oh, that's great. Oh, do you remember that? And brings back all the emotion from when they watched it the first time round. But it's done in an, in a way which can hook new viewers, and and Gav saying that action films have moved on. I think they've moved on in a bad way. This film is the way action should be done. It's been the 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 way it's been shot has been done in real time. That you know the CGI is minimal. These are actually shot within the cockpit of fighter jet, and you can feel it. I, I, there's n- never been a film that I I can think of maybe in the last fifteen years where I've said you can only watch this in the cinema to really um, to really get the best of it. And and this is one of those films where I think the bigger the screen, the more the louder the the your speakers are. This is an immersive, full on action experience, which you just do not get that even in the Marvels. You know, at the height of uh, of sort of the peak Marvel we got to at Endgame, that was a real spectacle. That was fantastic. This is a completely different experience. That you know, that's very out outer worldly. It's you're glad someone's created that. This feels real. It's visceral. It's real, like primal instincts in terms of the adrenaline. And I think it really comes off the screen the way the action's been portrayed in this. This is brilliantly shot, um, well directed. The '80s tunes just to help pull up the the nostalgia, and I think really link you back to to who we're watching in terms of you know Maverick was the star of Top Gun and now he still is, you know, and he's bringing it through to the, and, and I really like the way, the way it's a, it's a, it is a retelling of the original, but it's also a development of the original just enough to, 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 to make it worthwhile watching again. It's not, um, it, it's not like you're just watching the eighties film, but with, with better graphics or, you know, in, in a higher definition, it is a new story it is. I, I think Gav is completely wrong that it was a, almost a waste of time. Um, for me, it's everything about it was worth the time and effort to go, to go and watch it. And I'm not just saying that because me and Tom are part of the same club. He absolutely Which, nailed this. You, you, <laughs> oh yeah. Scientology. Yeah. It, it is Scientology. Yeah. It is Scientology. Yeah. That, yeah. That explains everything. Still writes to me. Yeah. Still, still sends me letters. Got, <laughs> sent to my phone with an address. When, Otzi <laughs> once once completed a questionnaire at, at Scientology Center to fill some time while he was waiting for an appointment, <laughs> and to this day they keep on sending him letters. 
And yeah. he thinks now that him and, him and Tom Cruise are, are almost mates. Pen pals. We're, we're, we're very close to being mates, I think. Um, <laughs> jo- joke's be, on you. It's actually John Travolta who's been writing to you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> um, beyond the action, though, like, I, I genuinely think the action in this is, is absolutely incredible. I think it's visceral and it and it's, it, it really does grip you. I think one of the things that this film does better than the original is it touches on the drama more because it's quite hard for them to 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 build up what we loved about the original you know there was there was characters in the original which were quite quickly you care for and you know and then they die later on in the film so you do care that people have gone so they had to try and rebuild that level of um of love and trust within this one and and I think it's I think it's really well done in terms of the drama in this. There are more dramatic scenes. You know, it's a longer film. They've been given, they've given themselves more time to, um, to to deal with that. So the action is exhilarating and spectacular, but actually the drama scenes are are bigger and held for longer. And um, and yes, some of it is paint by numbers in in some ways. You know, it is it is an action film. There are you can guess what's what's coming in a lot of it because you've seen Top Gun, the original. You know what's happening. This is, but it's just so nicely, nicely done. And I think that's one of the, one of the, the real triumphs of this movie is that it's very well put together. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Gavin, quick um, rebuttal point. Uh, mine was just to counter what Ozzy was saying about the story. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but the story and the script are pretty poor to be honest like generally speaking top gun maverick is just a retelling of the original film just like ozzy said that it wasn't it is it's just like watching the original book in hd as i mentioned before it's a wholly unoriginal and uninspiring with whole scenes and essentially story points and the story structure being directly lifted from the original there's paying an homage and then there's just remaking something unfortunately this film falls into the latter category I was hoping that perhaps Top Gun Maverick would have moved on from the Cold War politics that are entrenched in the original, but unfortunately not. Maverick is as jingoistic as the first film, but with the only difference being we're never told the nation we're supposed to be rooting against. America's just portrayed as the big hero. The enemy is just like these faceless black helmets. We're supposed to stand up and salute every time one of them goes down. You know, Maybe the reason that we're not shown who the enemy is, is because of the ever-changing political landscape and the producers wanting to avoid dating in the movie in the future. But by having a faceless antagonist, it really decreases the stakes and the tension. And it also makes the victory at the end a little less impactful because I don't know who you were fighting against. As Alex said before, you could have been fighting against Luxembourg. You know, it, it might not be a big achievement. I don't know. The script is incredibly boring and forgettable as well. As I mentioned before, when characters aren't in fighter jets, there's lots of expository dialogue about fighter jets, about Goose's death, Brewster's career, etc., etc. Barely any of the interactions or conversations felt real. The only genuine conversation or any scene that evoked any kind of emotion for me outside of the action scenes was the scene between Maverick and Iceman. Most of the conversations just feel unnatural or forced and are laden with macho bullshit dialogue or cliches, like when the heroes celebrate at the end of the film by talking about how many enemies they and Maverick have killed. And there's a genuine scene in it in which Maverick 
<laughs> in front of all the recruits, picks up the rule book and then throws it into the bin. It's just very, very cliched. As well as being unoriginal and formulaic, it's also unbelievable at times as well. And I mean that in a negative way, as in a lot of the events seem truly implausible and pull you right out of the film. Alex mentioned right at the beginning, it starts with Maverick testing a fighter jet, attempting to get it to Mach 10, which is approximately 600, sorry, 6,000 miles per hour. Now, upon reaching that speed, the jet blows up and we have a cutaway to the control room where everybody understandably believes that Maverick has just died because why the fuck wouldn't he have? <laughs> right. But then in the next scene, we see he, he's perfectly fine. Like it was just a little fender bender. Now, Maverick had been ordered not to test that jet, but he went against those orders. He then essentially destroyed a multi-million, if not billion dollar jet because he took the piss and tried to push past Mach 10, even though in the mission brief, it was only up to Mach 10. He should have stopped there. So even if he managed to survive the impossible explosion, he and probably several of his team, if not all of them, would have been court-martialed. But no, he's just given a different job. Uh, when we meet Rear Admiral Ed Harris, he talks about how great drones are and how they're the future. And I thought that the script was going to introduce something about tradition versus new tech, focusing on the end of the dogfighting era from Top Gun and the role of drones in modern warfare, essentially, or modern aerial warfare, at least. Ultimately, concluding that, you know, what this is what I thought anyway, robots or AI can't do the things that a human can do, or AI isn't better than Tom Cruise. But no, it doesn't go anywhere near that. That's never mentioned again, even though the deadly mission that this film centers on, to me, seems like it could be easily done using a drone, probably safer as well. Now, Maverick gets kicked off the program, then he steals a jet and completes the test run, showing everybody that it can be achieved. Firstly, why didn't he start this at the beginning? You know, everybody would have been on board from the get-go and he would have saved several days of infighting. And secondly, why the fuck has this guy not been imprisoned? He keeps on getting rewarded every time he goes against <laughs> orders. <laughs> then we see countless enemy deaths after jets are shot at, but whenever it happens to one of our heroes, it's no big deal. Maverick survives yet another jet explosion and both he and Rooster end up behind enemy lines. But don't worry because they find... An F-16, as in the plane that Maverick used to fly in the original Top Gun, in perfect flying condition, unmanned in a hangar, with no guards around it at all, fully fueled, and with the keys seemingly in the ignition. Then we're repeatedly told that this F-16 is no match for these state-of-the-art MiGs. But then we're shown that it is, because apparently, this is what they say, it's not about the vehicle, it's about the driver. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Lewis Hamilton smash everybody at the British Grand Prix driving his mum's red Nobagan next month. And now I understand. If, if there was a multi-million blockbuster film, then that is what would happen, isn't it? It's not it's not no, Top no. Gun the fucking documentary, is it? It's Top Gun the film. You know, it's trying to be entertaining. Listen, yeah. I understand that people aren't watching Top Gun Maverick for the story or the script, but when they're both so weak as they are in this film, it really undermines and devalues the bigger picture, leaving you disengaged before the action that Alex is heralding has even started. Okay, thank you very much. Ozzy, I saw your hand go up like three times during that. Yeah, the, the, the originally my, my argument was going to be about the, the lack of a, of, of a name or, you know, or, or a face to the baddie. Really, don't think that's an issue whatsoever. Um, I was going to make something up that the director said that it was a, 
it was a call back to 1984 and it doesn't really matter but i couldn't be asked uh, making up a making up an argument to counter that it really doesn't matter the the that's not the baddies and the the you're not there cheering that the baddies have been killed you're cheering that a mission has been completed and that the heroes make it out alive the the, the baddies are irrelevant it doesn't it really doesn't matter who they are and you know you don't feel better that they they're gone or that you don't know who they are <laughs> The the challenge was the mission. They they deal with the plot point about the drones almost immediately after saying, I care about drones. You know, pretty much the next scene is that this mission cannot be done by drones because of X, Y, Z. You know, there are these radar things. The drones have to fly it below a certain level, otherwise they get caught and they'll be blown up by anti-aircraft missiles. It's handled immediately. You know, all of these sort of there are plot points in it. It's a hollywood blockbuster film it's designed as a vehicle to show off mad stunts done in real life you know that's one of the great things is that it you can tell that they're actually done so often you know and i'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic of this there are loads of people doing their own stunts these days it seems to be the done thing and it really doesn't matter you know you, you couldn't tell because they cgi so much of what's going on around them anyway you might as well just have a professional doing it whereas this you can tell that it, you're in the plane you know it's not just a plane that's been created it's not just a simulator you can tell that they're in the plane and i think it really it really does that's what's exhilarating about that and i think that's what carries it beyond the fact that the plot is i mean the plot is essentially um uh, force awakens um or uh or you know it's it's essentially star wars they've got to shoot a gun into a tiny little hole that the only way you can get to it is by actually you know the, the missile has got to go in this hole the only way to do it is manually aiming it, it it's the same story so, you know? so are you arguing that this film is original uh... no i'm not saying it's original it doesn't need to be original but it's originally done you know we've got here is is a really action-packed film you, you know what's coming that's the whole point it's it's fine that you know what's coming it really doesn't matter it's so I think it's emotive and it it really captures because it's real. You know, you can see things that are that you recognize. There's no it's not a spaceship. It, this is a, a fighter craft. It's like if you're in a car that goes up too fast. That same feeling of dread and adrenaline. I think you ca that's captured in the film. And there's not many films which actually make you feel that, you know, the hairs on the back of your neck come alive within the action. What about uh, fast scenes. seven? Did Fast Seven do that? Fast Seven was yeah, was, was, was close, you know. Yeah, that, was, that was really close, but what about but Tango was... and Cash Aussie? <laughs> we we watched that together and yeah. I saw you decades To be honest with you, other than films at the Rock Inn, this is the only other film that's really had me had me goose pimply. That's the only thing. If it, you know, and I was surprised I didn't think I was gonna like it because The Rock wasn't in it. Yeah. I didn't I didn't but, realize the Rock had monopoly on Pimply. Yeah, yeah, for me especially. Yeah. In this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> if there's ever an action star that it could be, it is him and then Tom Cruise. And and honestly, it has nailed it. I think there's a bit of a shout out to we touched about the um the orchestration. And I think this really does capture the way the music should be throughout. Gav's, you know, pulling apart plot points about everyone in the bar knows um uh, great, you know, great balls of fire that's not that's it's not everyone in the bar it's that gang of uh 
of of youngsters know it and they know it because that's what his dad was playing that's how he learned it you know there's a little flashback of him sat on his his mom's knee or his dad's knee or something on the uh, you know and and he's learning it it's a way of building the character up so he plays it his friends all love it because that's what he does when he's had a few drinks gets on the piano they love it because they know there's more drinks don't read into this man this is never discussed he gets on the piano he plays it and every fucker in that bar knows great balls of fire i'm just i'm just thinking do they play that in the in the original top gun i'm trying to cast my mind back yeah 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 yeah. and he remembers it and obviously loves it that's why he plays it again on memory he had of his dad yeah yeah yeah, exactly dave (laughs) (laughs) it's that dad and there's somehow he remembers Great Balls Jerry of Fire. Lewis. Maybe he has Spotify. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, right. The or way, access it, to the internet and he's fucking Googled it, hasn't he? <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, exactly. He's definitely heard it. You've heard it. I've heard it. Yeah. The, the, you know, I think it doesn't, it, it's a kind of irrelevant, that it's a plot point, it's a plot hole. It's done and it's, you talk it through. You know, you've got to see it. Yes, it's a sequel, but also it's a standalone film. So you have to develop characters in some way. This is the way they've done it. You know, there's characters who um, who possibly should have been in it, who are, you know, just listed as, oh, they're dead, you know, but they're done in a touching way to, so that they're not in the film. Here's how, here's why. And then you get the drama and the sadness and the, and it genuinely helps build up the character, like the Maverick. He's, you know, he's a bit older. He's still a cocky shit, but... He cares for people, and that's why he then cares for uh, Rooster, and then it helps build up the decisions that he makes going forward. Mm. And, and I think that's touched. That's done nicely. I think yes, it's a it's an action film primarily, and the script isn't amazing, mm. but it touches on the right things at the right time, just enough to keep you going through for the. It, it, I think Gav's really nitpicking to say that it's it doesn't handle these things well. Okay, because. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Alex, I want to come back to you now. I haven't heard from you for a while. So, I mean, there's other points to be raised here, I'm sure. So I think I've heard enough about the script. I think I've heard enough about the general plot. I mean, if you want to talk more about action, that's okay. If you want to tell me more about the cast, uh, you pick what you think you're going to sell sell to me best. Sell you on. Well, I might yeah. talk about action and sort of dovetail it a bit into, into, the, into the cast. The cast is sort of speaks for itself a bit if you look at it you know you've, you've just got a, you know you've got people from the original you've got Val Kilmer's coming back you've got Tom Cruise top of his game giving a really 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 great performance here like you know especially like Gav was saying that scene with, with that he has with um, Val Kilmer when you know it's actually it's actually a very emotional scene between the two characters you know and Tom Cruise you know often when you're watching like you know the the Mission Impossible films you know it's very much great but it's quite one note this is you know it's showing that tom you know he's, he's a fantastic actor and, it, and it's showing that side of him john ham is in it you know miles teller really really great cast and do you know what if I, to bring this into the action they were all fully committed to the way this film was going to be made you know this wasn't just i think gav started this off by saying you know it's remaking film so top gun maverick was going to be remade probably it was but it's been made properly like tom cruise really put a lot of effort and put really high expectations for everybody into this. You know, there is almost no CGI in it whatsoever. And that means that these are the actors that are going up in these planes and being put through incredible amount of G-stress. You know, and as Ozzy was saying that you're in the cockpit. In fact, uh, Claudio Miranda had a really, you know, says it better. He was a cinematographer on it. And let's remember, this is a cinematographer who had to think about the exposure on his, you know, and 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 I think, and we 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 would be the same here. 
lots of people don't understand the amount of work that goes into the job of a cinematographer and the, the amount of you know artistry and just technical know-how that would need to go into it and Claudio Miranda had to think about all of this stuff like the exposure for example on something that was going to be happening 20-30 minutes from now 20-30 miles away from where he actually was so you know to get these shots also the actors themselves had to be turning the cameras on and off. They had to be, you know, they, they, there's a lot. You know, they then had to fly back. You know, obviously, I don't think they were flying the plane, but they had to then come back, land, they'd take it off, look at the footage, and then they'd go back up, and then and then they'd improve their performances based on the feedback they got on the on the ground. So, you know, the the idea that this is just a quick cash in, you would just CGI. It. You would instantly CGI everything. No one would ever leave one room and that would be it you know they didn't do that you know they wanted to make this properly tom cruise had a real vision for this um you know for example the cast are going i think there was a scene when they're on the beach glenn powell says that you know they're all on the beach and they did the scene where they're sort of you know playing football and stuff like that all looking great shirts off and apparently tom cruise came up to the, the whole cast after two days where they'd finally been allowed to like drink beer and have what they wanted to eat and was like, we're doing that scene again. Everyone was like straight back in the gym. You know, he said that there was so much stress everyone was feeling just to make sure they were back up to their, you know, back up to their peak because people wanted to do a good performance here. People wanted this to be an absolute hit film. If you're talking about the action, you're talking about the, just the, the, the pure, just like commitment and dedication that just shines through this film from the cast. And I'm talking about, Sometimes people who don't maybe have a lot of airtime, you know, Gav was talking about how, you know, there's, there's not a lot of emotional scenes. I think there are enough, but, you know, the scenes are when they're in the planes and you believe they're in the plane. Sorry, to come back to what I was saying, Claudio Miranda said, there's a shot right at the end when uh, Tom Cruise is flying off the aircraft carrier, right? And he, as you would expect, his, his head goes back and the airplane goes off. But what you wouldn't expect is where, when he goes off the ramp, his head tilts forward again and it hits forward. And that's something that, you know, you wouldn't know unless you were actually in a cockpit. And all of a sudden, Claudio Miranda says, that's the moment when you realise you're in, you're there, you're with him. You're in that plane and you are you are with them. It makes the action so visceral because of the cast commitment to it. But my last thing I'll say is I just want to break down just one action sequence. To, and it's just, it's fantastic. It's for me the best action sequence in it. And that's saying something. They've gone through the canyon to get to the mountain. They've gone up the mountain. They fired. They've hit the target. But now this is the bit where they're going to fly. They're going to do a steep climb. They're going to fly back out. And this is the dangerous part. So they fly out and then the sand missiles start uh, flying at them. And Miles Teller, I don't know the way he says it. He just goes, oh, my God, it's really good. It's not, you know, as I would imagine, I would be you know, screaming, oh, my God. He just goes, oh, my God. And these missiles start flying at them. And then you see one person defends against the missile you know puts the chaff out so you know countermeasures and things like that then it's like another person's turn so you know that the next plane defends against it but then the action sequence start getting editing closer and closer together until you have this sense of just chaos running through it the, the missiles are flying everywhere and you just have this back as soon at that point but you have a back shot of just the missiles flowing and everything coming apart basically it just looks completely chaotic it's not at all like you, your childish dreams of what it would be like to be flying in a mission it's missiles people trying to blow you out of the sky and that's when you know finally rooster doesn't have any more countermeasures he's going to die and maverick flies his plane above roosters and fires his own chaff to save him and gets blown up you know you are just that is an exhilarating 
an exhilarating action sequence that you don't get in John Wick, you don't get in anything that's not an aerial combat. You know, like a real, you know, you don't get it in the Fast and the Furious because that is a lot of CGI and it's a lot of, you know, cars and it's it's all completely unbelievable. I believe, I completely believe this because, and the reason I believe this is because it is real, because you are in the cockpits, because this is real people having G-Force put on their faces. So when that happens, I, I, I found it electrifying. And I, and I really would say there's not many films like this, mainly because people know that people aren't going to like CGI and mainly because people don't have the technical experience and don't have the vision and the commitment to see it through. And I think we have to be with Joseph Kaczynski for, for directing it. I think Claudio Miranda for doing just an, an astonishing job in a cinematographer. And I think as an executive producer, Tom Cruise, set an incredibly high standard that he himself lived up to. Do you know what I mean? He wasn't asking anyone to do anything he wouldn't do himself and made this film an absolute classic, you know, which, which got recognition through the industry as being an absolutely fantastic action film. That scene, by the way, actually, I genuinely, because I think I went into it and everybody knew that somebody died. I genuinely thought, fuck that. It could like, be I thought that was it. I thought that was, wow, what an amazing touch to have done that. And I was like, oh, man, that's incredible. Great that, you know, we know we've already talked that he survives and he comes out on the other end. But for, you know, for a good few, I can't remember how many minutes it is now, but for a good while, I was like, oh, shit, that was immense. You know, the, yeah. the heart-wrenching piece where you think he's done it, he's, and now he's like, like the redemption essentially after, you have to have after a little lie down after the goose, that it was like, oh man, it was so yeah, it's like a roller coaster, mate, in every sense, you know, the adrenaline plus the the relief at the end. Yeah. The so. Feeling like sick, like yeah. throw up at some points throughout it. Yeah. What about the uh, what <laughs> about bowels the are jostled and I just need to paste <laughs> <laughs> them all over the seat? What about queuing for four hours? That's the best bit. Uh, yeah, well, we're, we're all you know, waiting 36 hours to get on it, and ultimately, it's not as yeah. good as you would have liked. <laughs> uh, uh, has anyone got any more points they'd like to make here? Uh, Gav, you got anything? Yeah, yeah, just talking about the action. Uh, you know, I'm not going to deny most of, of what Alex and Ozzy are saying, to be honest. The action is immersive, and I imagine that it is a treat if you're watching it on IMAX. I also applaud the decision to not use CGI and instead recreating these scenes, particularly, uh, sorry creating these scenes, practically creating tangible and exciting action set pieces and sequences. But in my opinion, once you've seen one dogfight, you've seen them all. And, you know, this film, there's, it's not like... two. But, but there you go. But the thing is, is once you've seen you've one dogfight... One, <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. It's essentially repeating the same thing. Once you've seen one dogfight in one film, you've seen them all. Once you've seen Top Gun, you don't need to watch Top Gun Maverick is essentially what I'm saying. You know, it, it's, this film's not like the, the Bond films or Mission Impossible or anything where you would have several specific and different action set pieces, each one of them being unique or at least different from the previous one. It's not even like a vehicle-related action film like Fast and Furious where they try and mix it up by using different vehicles for each action set piece. This is just incredibly repetitive. There's just a series of well-shot jet, jet fighter set pieces in the same or very similar locations. And regardless of how it's filmed or how nice it looks, after a while, it does look the same. Like, I wouldn't be able to tell you where any of those scenes that Alex and Ozzy were talking about happened in the film because it just kind of blazed into one, one, one scene for me. And nothing about this film 
feels fresh to me at all. I, I felt like I had seen every one of these scenes before in the first film or in subsequent air-based action films. The only difference is that filming techniques have massively advanced since then. So although it looks very impressive, it also ultimately doesn't feel original. Uh, and when, when we're talking about the cast and the crew, Tom Cruise, you know, he slips into the role like a familiar pair of old slippers, which is perhaps what the character of Maverick should have been wearing as well. Uh, as <laughs> as good, uh, you know, he's older than Viper. Who played Viper in the first film? I can't remember. Do you know who Tom I mean? Skerritt. Tom, Tom Skerritt. Skerritt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise is now like three years older now than Tom Skerritt was. Then. I know. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely mad, isn't <laughs> it? The guy looks younger than us, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Tom Skerritt, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, this, this is this is a criticism for me because as good as Cruise is in the role, you can't help but feel that this should have been a passing of the torch film, but instead it was Tom Cruise continuing to run with the torch and instead using said torch to fend off and or burn younger, more suitable you, replacements. You went into a film called Top Gun Maverick, right? That was ba- the sequel <laughs> to a film called Top Gun, thinking that it wasn't Tom Cruise, who's called Maverick, yeah. and is from the first Top Gun film, wasn't going to be a big, shouldn't be a big part of this film. Right. Do you know why I, I thought? I thought that he was going to die at some point and he was going to pass the torch. Similar to um, you know Harrison Ford coming back to Star Wars. You know, after, after a certain amount of time and with the... Tell him, tell him that about Indiana Jones. Well, well, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> you go, you go talk to Harrison Ford, and you tell him. Glorious what needs to, as well. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair to Captain, that is what I was implying before. I did think yeah, Maverick did. was going to die, and that uh, that was probably my only moment where I thought, oh, they missed a the trick there." But just for clarity, he just spoiler alert. He doesn't, does he? he no, he, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't die. And, and the, the thing um, for me, he comes back as well. better than ever, yeah. to be honest yeah. with you, Dave. So he comes ev- back everybody. and I'm glad he didn't die because the next scene is fucking immense. So. <laughs> yeah. oh, everybody right. lives apart from Val Kilmer, who dies off screen. Sorry, not Val oh, Kilmer, spoiler. but the character Iceman <laughs> dies off screen. And uh, it, yeah, it's it, it just, it, once again, it's just that particular bit doesn't feel like there's much jeopardy. But with the Maverick scene, I thought it was going to be him passing on the torch because especially with Hollywood's need to expand on existing IP, I thought they were going to kind of spin this off and do like a Top Gun 3, 4, whatever, following a new batch of recruits or Maverick being now the leader or the you know the the trainer and then you've got your central characters who are you know miles teller and whatnot saying that though when you look at the potential successor maybe you'd want to hold onto the torch a little longer too i think miles teller is a good actor but i think he was he was done quite dirty by this script it makes him appear as the most sort of boring and vanilla guy in this uber macho 80s throwback of a film his character starts off moody and moaning and doesn't improve much from then his character arc seemingly is you have to believe in yourself, which he does briefly at the end, and then that's it. Everything else, water under the bridge. Glenn Powell was very good at playing somebody that you just want to punch and probably could have been a good successor, seeing that the original Maverick was the original anti-authority character, but Hangman is just a bit of a stereotype. He's just a bit of a dick uh, throughout the entire film. And then he has this character arc, a bit of redemption at the end, where he helps the central two characters out. It feels very rushed and unbelievable at the end of the film. It doesn't feel like he's had enough time to grow or recognize the error of his ways. And then you've got Jennifer Connolly, who's in this film, true, but her character and the entire romance plot between her and Maverick 
is generally treated like filler. Her character doesn't really develop at all throughout the film and seems oh, only oh, there. You miss him. Oh, <laughs> but she seems only there basically to, to service Maverick. And hey, that's hey, not that's hey. not a euphemism. Well, <laughs> clearly is, isn't it? Whether you want it to be or not, it clearly is. So phrasing. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Has anyone got any final points they would like to make? Otherwise, I'm happy to call time on this one. Everyone everyone's got a little point to make. Okay. <laughs> let's go around starting with let's go to Austin first, then Gav, then Alex. I'm gonna lay one one thing towards Gav in terms of when I, I went to watch it with Katie in the cinema and I did feel a little bit ripped off is that I paid for the seat and I used only the edge. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> Shazam. Follow that Gav. Yeah, listen, Dave, if you want a flag shagging film about Cold War hangups and how great the military is, just watch the original Top Gun. If you just want mindless, adrenaline-filled action aerial set pieces, go and see an air show. Dave, you live right next to one of the most popular ones in the UK every year. <laughs> just stick your head out the window and watch that. It'll be more entertaining, and you won't have to put up with any of the guff story or script that just feels laboured, unoriginal, repetitive, and boring. <laughs> and Alex? Uh, I think we both know, having grown up near the air show days, that it's not it's not something you need to go back to. So no, you've seen, like, you've seen one Lancaster bomber. You've seen yeah, one. Well, <laughs> I saw I saw about fourteen years worth of them, Dave. I'm sure you did the same. Um, it's not macho. This just isn't a macho film, like Gav was saying, and it's not flag shagging. It's not jingoistic. I just don't think I don't think Gav's really given any evidence for why those things are there. I just don't think there's any flag shagging or jingoism. The whole thing is about how great the military is and it makes it even more about how great the military is that we don't even know who the bad guys are. It's like, it doesn't matter who they are. What's great is that we murder them. <laughs> Which leads me beautifully onto my final point. Thank, like, honestly, Gav, that was brilliant. Thanks. Uh, I didn't I didn't really know how I was going to shove it in there. But, like, <laughs> you really helped. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, so just the final point about who we don't know is the villain. I actually work with a guy who we were talking, we were discussing this film and he's from Iran. And he said, you know, the first film in the Top Gun, and he says this in quite a few films that he's watched, he sometimes doesn't quite understand why his country is seen as the bad guy. Do you know what I mean? It's like he's with them and it's like, oh, it's all of a sudden that, you know, very against. So I think the fact that Top Gun's villain are unknown makes it much more accessible. It makes it much more accessible for people who live around the world and perhaps don't want Tom Cruise to be looking, firing at them with a, you know, a machine gun. But also it just makes... The fact that me, so I'm not a big fan of military films. I'm not a big fan of like, you know, especially big superpowers thrown around the way and blowing up things. So I think the fact that I can get behind this film because it isn't jingoistic, because it's not trying to shoot things down, because, you know, it, it's not trying to say America is the best country. And, you know, because it's kind of like this is a uranium enrichment dump that it's blowing up. We can all kind of get behind that. It's very cleverly done. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I think the very fact that we don't know who these bad guys are bad guys are shows us how far Top Gun has come on. It shows us that it's evolved. It's got better storylines. It's got better character development. And it's a bit more of a film that can exist in, well, I think 2022 is when it was made. It, it's been updated in all the right points. So it's extremely entertaining, but it's also a bit more thoughtful and a bit more mindful of what it's doing. It's a classic. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I have plenty of notes to consider here has anyone got a time killer exercise by which i'm in quiz yes that will be me and this quiz i have called topped gun 
And it's a quiz that's all about Top Gun uh, and records or achievements within the first and the second film and a few other little Top Gun facts thrown in there for good measure. Question number one. The original Top Gun was the highest grossing film of 1986, taking in 357 million globally, which seems like pennies by today's standards, doesn't it? But can you guys name any other of the films that make up the top five of 1986? A point for each one that you name. Terminator? Yeah, I was going to say that. Uh, No. Uh, Terminator 1 came out in 1984, I believe. Um, Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. No, I think that was '84 as well. Oh. Aliens. Aliens is in the top ten, but it's not in the top five. Sorry, yeah. Alex. Good job, though. I think it came number six or seven, so just missed out. God, 1986. What was big in '86? But I, I, the second one is really fucking surprising. <laughs> just how shit it is. The the number three was a big winner at the following year's Oscars uh, war film. Number... A full metal jacket or... Ooh, no, what was the other Pl- one? Platoon. There we go, Platoon. Uh, then the next <laughs> one on the list was a sequel to uh, sort of kids, I'd say kids. It's, I tell you what, this a is sequel very... to kids, what, adults? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just tell you now, Alex, you should definitely get one of these, man. What came out in 1984? Something that you like from a series. Something I like that came out. Don't know. Star Trek 2. Oh, no. Star Trek 4. No, 5. Yes, four. 4. No, no, you got it. 4. four. Home. The other ones were Karate Kid 2. And okay. the okay. second most popular film of that year was Crocodile Dundee. Which... Hey. Oh, no. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, watch it back. Watch yeah, it back. no, I don't. That's why I went, hey, oh, no way. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, Top Gun and its sequel, Maverick, almost had a very different lead, as Tom Cruise was not the producer's first choice. The original choice ultimately missed out due to negotiations taking too long. But who was that actor? Uh, now, I'll give you a hint. We named him earlier. Somebody named him. I think it was Dave. Tom oh. Skerritt? No, no. I tell you, now, he was more probably famous in 1986 for his dancing abilities, although he would eventually become an action star. Well, Swayze? Oh, John Travolta. John Travolta. Uh, well done, Travolta. Ozzy. Well Thank done, God. Ozzy. have been Thank terrible. God. Have been <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, although um, Patrick Swayze was also offered the role as where the likes of... Um, I've forgotten now. To, uh, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> Michael J. Fox, and Tom Hanks. Charlie, Charlie Sheen. He, should, uh, he must have been in the mix. I, I don't know if he was, to be honest. Anyway, moving on. Dave, you should hopefully get this one. Uh, the uh-huh. infamous Take My Breath Away song from the original was written for the film, which I didn't know. I thought it was written by the band, but it was written yep. for the film first. It was offered to the motels who turned it down, and then it was auditioned for and won by who? Berlin. Berlin, of course, yeah. Well of course thought. it is. Come on. Okay. Right. Now, <laughs> Did they ever do go. anything else? No, uh, not really. <laughs> no. Not really. <laughs> well, you don't need to after that, do you? No. Uh, which leads me on to question number four. Danger Zone was written for the film and offered to a whole host of 80s rocker. A point to the first person who guesses one of the bands or singers who turned down. Bruce. Huey Lewis. Uh, no. Uh, and who did you say, I, uh, Ozzy? 
I said Bruce Springsteen. Uh, no. Paul and Oates. No, no. Yes. No. Talking heads. No, this is going to go on for a while. Ultra hey. Rocks. No. <laughs> give you Steve, all one more. Steve Miller. No, I'll give you all one more guess and then I'm going to call it a day. Um, Rick, Rick Springfield. No, although like, that's a good show, to be honest. Pink Floyd. No, and I'll see. Uh, no, I haven't got one. I can't think of one. Okay, so you've got Corey Hart. <laughs> got, oh, bless uh, him. Starship. There's also oh, really? Bri- yeah, okay. Brian Adams, Re- okay. uh, Ar- Ario Speedwagon, and Toto. I, I mean, a lot. That would all work. I, I would yeah, like to yeah. hear all of those guys do a couple yeah, of things. Stay here. <laughs> so, Tom Cruise returned to this film after 36 years, making it one of the longest gaps by an actor returning to a movie role. But it's a few years off the record, which is 54 years, which is held by which acting hero who returned to one of his roles in 2018. Is it your your mate from um from the thing? What active role would he have returned to? Kurt Russell. <laughs> Don't know. Did he the, play the Fox Father, from Fox in he, the Hand? Was he yeah, Father yeah, Christmas? True. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was no, he Father no. Christmas at no. an early stage of his life? And <laughs> no, at the back? age of eight. <laughs> right, should, 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 should I give you all a clue? Yeah. Okay, it was a musical. Return to a musical in 2008, you say? 2018. 2018. Acting legend, as in they played the same character. Yep. Mary Poppins. Yep. Uh, Who was it? Judy. No. 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 Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Van Dyke. I'm going to give Alex <laughs> the point there. Yeah. Absolutely. And Dick Van Dyke returns as Mr. Dawes in Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, a fun little bit of trivia for you that I just know off the top of my head is that in the original Mary Poppins, when he played Mr. Dawes Senior, he had to be aged up because he obviously wasn't old enough to play that old character. However, when he returned in the sequel, <laughs> he looked so fucking good. <laughs> they had to age him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit age him up again. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, top uh, number six, Top Gun Maverick finished 2022 as the second highest grossing global film of the year, making 780 million domestically with a worldwide gross of nearly 1.5 billion. But which film took first place? It wasn't Avatar, was that this year or last year? It was, it was Avatar 2. Well done, sure. Alex. 2.3 billion, I think it was. Oh, and uh, which so much money that's just outrageous. I know. For... But it just goes. Just, I know, I know. But, if, like, but here we go. Which other maligned sequel finished third on the list? Twenty twenty two. Oh, yeah. um, Jurassic World. Well done, Ozzy. Yeah, Jurassic World Dominion. So mm. yeah, um, that's it. yeah. I wanted goes, that to be good as well, and that was. Yeah, I did too. I think we all did, Ozzy. But unfortunately, oh, well. unfortunately not. Right. Okay. So next one is that massive domestic. Box office was also a record for Tom Cruise beating his previous highest grossing domestic film, which only accrued 234 million, which is peanuts, Tom. Uh, but <laughs> what was that 2005 film? War of the Worlds. Well done, Dave. Yes, it was nice War of the Worlds. Done. Well done. Maverick also became the most financially successful sequel of all time surpassing which 2019 animated movie? I don't know. No, not Frozen 2. It was Frozen 2. Yeah, well done, Dave. It also became the most watched premiere 
on Paramount Plus streaming platform, beating which other 2022 release, which was, to give you a bit of uh, a clue, a family-friendly game adaptation. Jumanji? No. Monopoly. (laughs) (laughs) No. Family-friendly games. and Dragons? No. And uh, well, was, we're talking about home premiere sort of thing. It was a well, it it debuted, and uh, it was you know it was it was on it was on at the cinema and, and it, it was the premiere on Paramount Plus. Oh, okay, um, family friendly game. It's a game. It's an adaptation of a very successful game. Family game. Uh, oh, Super Mario Brothers. No, although you're on the same same Sonic. lines. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, two. wow. Well done, wow. They made a now, second one. Yeah, they did with yeah. Idris Elba <laughs> playing Knuckles. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, talking about the making of the film, Tom Cruise did a complete 180 regarding his opinion on making a Top Gun sequel, initially dismissing the idea of it and calling a potential sequel irresponsible. Now, he made those comments during the press tour of which 1989 film? Um, so what did he make in 1989, which may Rain have... Man? No, it may have been around a similar sort of theme as Top Gun, but not as willy-waving. Thunder? Oh, Tropic... Th- oh, no, Days of Thunder? No. Born on the 4th of July. Well done, Dave. Born on the 4th of July. That's right. I imagine he was saying it was irresponsible because he was making a very serious war film. Um, ultimately, <laughs> this film was made and the directing duties were given to Joseph Kaczynski, who was recommended by Tom Cruise, who worked with him on which 2013 sci-fi movie? Oblivion. Yes. Well done, Alex. Okay. So that is it. That's the quiz. I'll tell you now. Two, three, four... Uh, just tackling it up five. I think Dave wins with six points. Does it ever feel like a formality when we go through the wins? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but you know, I Ozzy got two, which is uh, pretty more good, than normal, which yeah. is definitely more than normal. Alex, you got one, two, three, four. If you'd have got those two that I got, Alex, uh, we, we, got, we should pitch together. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, so uh, back to Dave. Okay, thank you very much, Gav. Good quiz. Um, I've had I've wrote a lot of notes on this one, and it, I need to be more succinct with these because it does us like the, the ramblings of a madman, you know, like Guy Pierce trying to piece together his memories over here. <laughs> but <laughs> from, from what you've told me, it sounded pretty positive at first. You know, I... I I really like the sound of the uh, the cast in particular. There's some good names coming out of me here. Ed Harris, Val Kilmer, Tom Cruise, John Hamm, Miles Teller, Jennifer Connelly, Glenn Powell. This sounded good. That's a good, solid cast. So I was really happy with that. But Gav did make a good point about jingoism. And even though Alex countered that point very well, I I do feel that Gav shone through there. And, said, and I do believe there is an element of jingoism to this film. I do believe it. The first one, the first Top Gun film, could well have been like a... Uh, a recruitment ad for the air force the u.s air force and i think this one is kind of similar i also didn't care for what gav called style over oh. substance and the fact that the characters are stuck in the past in a many in many ways the fact that the film itself seems to be stuck in the past i didn't mind the fact we've got a faceless enemy i actually think that's quite tactful 
probably more tactful than he could be. Given the uh, the current climate out there, you don't want to be offending anyone needlessly or stoking trouble where you don't need to. You know, it's uh, Cold War hangups it may be, but God, don't, don't they come back to haunt you if you just turn on the news now. So I do think the, the faceless enemy was a wise move. I don't mind the labored cliche dialogue, to be honest with you, because that's kind of what you expect from a Top Gun film. I don't mind that in the dialogue. I don't like style over substance, as I said. And I do understand what Gav says when he says it means that action films have moved on. But I think that was countered really well by the defense. They say that, you know, these these action sequences sounded phenomenal. You know, the fact that they use tangible effects, even Gav admitted that these tangible practical effects, getting the actors up in the planes, filming them while they're actually flying around, experiencing what it is like to be going at like um, a sonic speed almost. It's that is impressive. Not many people have done that before. I don't know if anyone's done that before. And that is a new way to film an action sequence and one that really, really speaks to me. And I do appreciate the effort that went in there and the commitment of the cast, which was alluded to quite a lot. Um, I don't mind elements of, you know, when Alex said, you know, they're high-fiving on an aircraft carrier at the end. It's like, that's, that's Top Gun, surely. What this boils down to, I think, was the originality. And it doesn't seem necessarily all that original. And for the average film, I would really call it out on that. If it's not original, if they've not had an original idea brought to the table, that's a serious problem. But when it's a sequel, that kind of mitigates it to a bit. You know, originality can make way for nostalgia. When you're calling back to the beach sports scene, for example, that we mentioned, when you're calling back to, you know, the call signs, when you're calling back to, you know, the, the, the high-fiving on an aircraft carrier at the end of a film, you know, even, even Hot Shots sent that up. That is Top Gun right there and then. Um, you know, even the elements of the jingoism, you could say, are kind of sending up themselves and being self-referential. And, yeah, I think, like I say, originality isn't the be-all and end-all if you're giving the fans what they want and showing them nostalgia and paying fan service forward. And I think even with the uh, the jingoism elements can be, yeah, jingoism can be overlooked with what the, the assumed supremacy of the U.S. Air Force actually being brought to a reckoning. And like, no, no, they've been told they're the best. That'll get them killed. You know that that is a very good point that Alex made there. Um, all in all, when I weigh up the the pros and the cons, and there are there are elements of both, I think I'm going to give it a pass on the lack of originality because it is old school, but I feel it's meant to be. It's kind of harking back to an original film that was well-liked and, and adored. I think it brings enough novel elements, such as action sequences, to the table, and it manages to be not just another action film. Everyone mentioned the Iceman scene has actually been quite sentimental and well-acted. I think all in all, it's just about got enough going for it that I'm going to give it a pass and put it onto the hit list. Nice. Thank you very much, Dave. Okay, genuine opinions then. I mean, do we have to ask Alex? Yeah, meant everything I said. Excellent action film. Start to finish, does exactly what it wants and exceeds it. I've watched it, I was saying before, like uh, I watched it when it came out of the cinema, loved it. Watched it again when it first came out of streaming. But it was fairly recently, so I was like, you know, I'm going to watch it again for for, for the podcast. Do I need to? And I was thinking about it this morning. I was like, no, I really fancy it. So I watched it before, before, and I really, and I still really enjoyed it. I think it's, uh, you know, when I said last week that, you know, Fast and Furious can scratch that uh, action itch sometimes whenever you have it, Top Gun does it properly. That's, this is a good, <laughs> proper action film that's doing it. It's doing it properly. It's, you don't feel like a little bit disgusted with yourself afterwards. You've, you've seen a great film, well made, well acted. 
And 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 I would disagree about the jingoism. I really don't think there is any jingoism in the film. Not not subtly, yes, but I don't think there's any outright jingoism that makes it difficult to watch. You know, there's not there's no there's not too much of like big long speeches where we all hark back to how great America is and apple pie and all of that stuff. So it it's subtle enough that it doesn't get in the way of the film. And, and I think that was a, a good choice the filmmakers made. Yeah, spot on. For an action film, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. No perfect. Thanks, Alex. Aussie? Yep. Mentario, it's on the right list for sure. I think this is, like Alex said, it's a great action film. And it's there's lots of good action films, but this one feels like a pro. Everybody cared about what they were doing and everybody did it well. It was just really incredibly well made and well worth as many watches as you want. This is one of those things which I think you can. As long as you, I think as long as the sound's up enough, that's part of the thing with it is it's the visual and the sound. This It's a full package. I, I don't think this is as Sunday afternoon action film, which we sometimes talk about as it being a good, a good watch. I think this is an action film, which actually you need to pay, not pay attention yeah. to, but yeah, yeah. you, you, your eyes have to be on the screen to, to really to grasp it. And I think that's what, that that's one of the things which I, I think makes it really good. It's not a throwaway action film. It's, got a lot of care to it yeah hit for me thank you very much Ozzy I uh, yeah I, I really liked it to be honest I was I and I was being honest when I was talking about my hatred for the first Top Gun which I, I've just never liked I've never understood why people like it so much as well and I really expected the same from this as well. And I went to the cinema and absolutely loved it, to be honest. I do think that the points that I was making could be valid. And I think that, you know, I was just over-egging them quite a bit. I do think there is a bit of jingoism in that there's a scene when Maverick's first introduced to the traders and he stands in front of like a 50 foot by 50 foot American flag. <laughs> That's what I mean about the subtlety though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely more subtle and it's definitely less jingoistic and patriotic than the first one. And I, I really liked what Alex was saying there about how it's evolved from the first film and what he was talking about, the faceless enemy. And I do think that that makes it more timeless because it doesn't age it, you know, in a few years time, the country that they've decided to focus on as the enemy, political landscapes change so drastically, it could be completely outdated within a few years. So by keeping them faceless, yeah, I I, I can see that that, that it's, it's better, I think. And, and, and because of that, I think it just makes it more in- inclusive, I think. And it, the action was very, very good. I think that some of the story could have been a bit better. There was a few times when it was just a little bit too familiar to the original. But as you said, Dave, I really liked that point that you were saying about, you know, jingoism or, or so, no, sorry, originality giving way to nostalgia. And I think that this treaded a, a delicate line, but definitely delivered on it. But um <laughs> just remember that's there's a scene at the end you know when they're all high-fiving on the hangar like i watched it again recently and i enjoyed it all apart from this one very last scene which i just didn't understand where they talk about how many people they've killed and it's it was just it was just a, a bit like prince harry uh you know sort of like i've killed three oh i've killed two hey well 
Maverick kills five. It's just a bit like, oh, it just feels it, a little bit it, like he gets to call, he gets to be called a special name because he kills so many people. Doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just felt a little bit like, oh, he gets a nice nickname like Ace, I think. Yeah, because he kills so many. Oh, that's not. That's not you shoot, it's it's shooting down enemy planes, isn't it? That's what gets yeah. you a fighter ace. Yes. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, yeah apart, apart from that, you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Fast and Furious 7, which scored 81% and 82% critical and audience scores, respectively, on Rotten Tomatoes. Higher, higher. You reckon higher? Higher, lower, I think. I'll go higher, I'll go, I'll go higher, higher. I'll, uh... I think higher audience, lower critics. Okay, right. Um, I'm going to tell you guys. This might be one of, if not the highest rated films on Rotten Tomatoes, with 96% critical Ooh, and wow. 99% audience. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't think Dave. we're going to get much higher than that. I, I think, yeah, Dave, I think you made the right call here. <laughs> I, I think I did too. I think I did <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It is immense. Goodness. So that's it. We have concluded our box office season. Which of our box office films did you like the most? And perhaps which one should we have put on trial or should we not have put on trial? Give us a tweet and let us know. In two weeks' time, we're going to start a new season and that season is going to be called Dealer's Choice. That's right. Every one of the films on trial gang will be putting one of their choices, I would say favourite films, but I've got a feeling that some of you are going to put on some real fucking suspect pieces of shit namely me but (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna start with dave dave is up first with dave's pick and that pick dave is okay just to explain where i'm coming from with this pick right (laughs) this is a film that when we started doing this podcast i thought we could have a really good episode about there's a lot to say on both sides of the argument it's a film i actually quite like and therefore i will throw my hat in the ring to defend it but it is widely derised by people it is widely regarded as being one of the worst films made that <laughs> film that i want to put on trial is what dreams may come oh my god starring robin williams interesting yeah mm. i will happily defend it but i know there is going to be there's going to be a conversation to be had there and i'll be interested to see what everyone thinks mm. let's do it All right. yeah, yeah. Let's go for it. i'm excited i'm excited okay Thank you very much for all your arguments, guys. Really appreciate it. And thank you very much to everybody who has listened to this episode and has listened to any episodes in the past. If you want to check out any more films on trial content, go on filmsontrial.co.uk. You can hear us on any podcast platform and check us out on all the socials. Film trials on Twitter and films on trial on everything else. So what have we learned? Well, we've learned that... Tom Cruise is older in Top Gun Maverick than Tom Skerritt was in the original Top Gun, which is bonkers. And we've also learned that Ozzy is still being contacted by the Church of Scientology, but it may or may not be John Travolta. (laughs) And ultimately, we've learned that Top Gun Maverick is a hit, and we're going to be directly in your ears in two weeks' time with What Dreams May Come. Goodbye. I didn't think you added that long. Yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, I mean, when, when we started the when we started the podcast, twenty seventeen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, wow.
Okay. So this was state of the art when we first started the podcast, and it has slowly gone downhill. Like it's the content. Since been... so <laughs> <laughs> That can be the. Uh... That's right. <laughs> <true. laughs>